The GPS DairyCast features the high-value insights of the GPS Dairy Consulting Team's trusted advisors and the owners and managers from the elite dairy farms they serve. These conversations deliver on the GPS Dairy Consulting promise to inspire change and grow leaders. Hello and welcome to the GPS DairyCast. I'm your host, Peggy Coffeen from the Uplevel Dairy Podcast, and I'm coming to you from the 2023 GPS Leaders Forum. And just coming off the stage is Steve Bodart from AgriGrow Solutions, who just shared his insights on how to gain a competitive edge in the dairy business. And he will be joined with GPS Dairy Consultant Rob Bender to dig into some of the details from his presentation today. Steve, You've spent your career doing financial consulting on dairies, so you have a broad background in dairy management and financials. So as you look out five to 10 years, what trends do you think are occurring around financials on dairies? What do you think is gonna set the best dairies apart from others over the next five, 10 years? So as I think about the next five to 10 years, I think one of the things that we still have that is a crutch within the dairy industry is we still have way too many farms that are using cash accounting. They're still too dependent on tax. They are not looking at the true cost of production, incorporating all their accruals, making sure that they truly understand where the business is going. You know, do they have the opportunities to do better? Are they really advancing like their cash flow says Mm -hmm. or are they eating up inventory some of those things and i know i know more and more are changing to accrual accounting but there still is this huge dependence and too many times we're reverting back to cash when we're making management decisions so i think that is something that we have to continue to enforce in order to move to the next level so as you think about accrual versus cash accounting, what are some major differences? Like if you're to take a step back and just think about what drives that decision or what what dairies are thinking about, like what is one one or two of the main things that change on dairies or that they think about differently? So if you look at cash accounting, one of the main things that we do with cash accounting is we're in tax avoidance mode. Mm -hmm. We always are thinking about how do we not give any money to the government for income tax, trying to reduce that as much as possible. So we may be expending a lot of things at the end of the year for next year's purchases, which are really prepays and should be going on the balance sheet, not being expended this year. We have these changes in inventories, whether we're talking cattle, whether we're talking feed, that we don't account for um, when we have our cash accounting. We also do things like accelerated depreciation. You know, we're again trying to avoid some taxes, so we're going to take this tractor that we just purchased and write it all off in one year versus the useful life of that asset. Sure. So shiny paint syndrome, huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. That kind of segues into where I was gonna go. You've talked a lot about capital costs, right? And I think you've talked about the variability you see among your dairies yes. and capital costs. You wanna just expand on that? Sure. And talk about how it relates to the dairies. So as I look as you look at your cost of production, one of the things that drives your cost of production is your capital cost. That used to not be as big a variable across the dairies. They had so many areas that they could make up with feed, replacement rate, milk production to try and lower their cost of production. But now we're getting into a more mature industry here, and everybody's at similar milk production, similar feed cost, forage quality, those types of things are very similar. But we do see a lot of variability in capital cost. 
And capital costs includes things like depreciation on assets, whether it be machinery, whether it be buildings. It includes interest um, costs that we're paying. So depending on the percent owner equity of your business. And that right now is one of the biggest variables that I see in farms is the amount of variability in that capital cost. I can I see over $3 a hundredweight differential when I come to cost of production on the capital cost. Now, part of that can be real estate, and I know some farms have a lot of real estate, some do not, but a big part of that capital cost is just how many dollars of assets do we have that each one of those cows is trying to support. And if we take land out of the equation, so none of the analysis that I've done not, I'm doing now is with land values in there. There still is a five to seven thousand dollars of variability in the amount of assets that each cow is trying to carry. Wow. Yeah. So should we sell all the land? Is that what you're saying? No, no I am okay. not saying that you should sell all the land. But I think it is important to look at this as far as what types of rate of return do we get mm -hmm. on assets and. A young dairy, a dairy that doesn't have a high net worth or high percent net worth, needs to make sure they're spending their capital, their assets, on assets that have a high rate of return. Sure. That allows you to grow at a faster rate so you can buy some of those assets that have a slower rate of return. Yeah. And what's when you look at your clients and you're saying there's, I think you said a $3, 100 weight difference, yes. right? What's setting apart the dairies that are on the lower end that are uh, really achieving a high uh, rate of return or a low capital cost per hundred weight? What, what's different about them? What is different about them, you know, if, is number one, just generally the amount of paint and hardware that they have around sure. yeah. is different about them. But what really differentiates them is when it comes down to the bottom line cost, cost of production. Yes, they might not have machinery, and yes, they may therefore have leased machinery or custom mm -hmm. work coming in. So that is a higher cost. But overall, their cost of production is still running substantially lower than those people that have tons and tons of assets and then sometimes not, aren't even hardly using them. Sure. You know. Yeah. And is there a demographic difference on your dairies? Or does dairy size play into this or you know, length that they've been dairy farming or some of that kind of stuff that factors in as well or not really? I would say yes, and that's a little bit of a loaded question, but I do think dairies that have been in the family for a long time have tended to migrate to more and more low rate of return asset investments. They've done more and more land purchases, so forth. And now all of a sudden they made a change in their business. And so they might have grown their dairy business, but they're so used to having all that capital tied up in land that they think they need to continue to grow the land sure. just as fast yeah. as they grow the cattle instead of looking at the higher rate of return assets first and then getting back to where they had been. Right. Oh, that makes sense. So let's maybe dig into a couple of those areas. You talked about a few different things. Let's talk about heifer inventory. That's yes. been a hot button issue of yours yes. over the past years. How has that conversation changed over the last couple of years? And what are your latest thoughts around heifer inventory? So number one, heifer inventory is important. We still got to have it. We still got to have adequate amount to maintain our herd. We still need to have a cushion in there. 
if everything went ideal, not a problem, but mm. there's always some adversity that creeps up. So I'm still an advocate of having enough replacements to maintain the herd at a reasonable replacement rate. And reasonable, again, every farm is different on that, but normally we're probably in that 32% type sure. replacement rate. I think with the beef cross that has come on very strong and the value that those beef crosses have had and the success people have had with sex semen, it is much easier today to talk to producers about managing heifer inventory sure. than what it has been five and ten years ago. And we're also doing a better job at calf survival than we had done five and ten years yep. ago. So when you said cushion, what does that really mean practically? If you figure out what your color rate is, what you need for heifers, factor in death loss, yeah. all those things, what kind of cushion do you think? So I generally start with, okay, what is our herd turnover rate? Where are we at? Here's our adult herd size. Here's our turnover rate. That means I need to have, if it's 32%, I need to have 32% of the adult herd size enter the adult herd or mm -hmm. enter the milking herd each and every year right that's at the bare minimum just to keep and then i go from there i go to okay what percent of the heifers are going to complete make it from birth all the way up to the having, adult yeah. herd and i think a safe number to say there's 85 percent of them are going to make it so then i back into that as to how many heifer calves we need to have delivered each and every month and then I generally use 3 to 5% as our buffer okay. over and above that. And so what about if a dairy's expanding or planning on expanding? Grow heifers first, don't grow heifers first, or I, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, if, I, if a dairy is going to expand, I think it is important that we at least do some of that growth with internal. Now, Size of the expansion, size of the growth sure. is going to yeah. really dictate. We know we can't have the minority trying to feed the majority. So, yes, I'm going to have some, but at the same time, we also know if we're doing a major expansion, it's all about how fast can we get that new operation up to capacity. So there's still going to be a place that we're going to have to buy animals. We may be buying mixed herds, so forth there, to fill the facility and keep it at full capacity as much as we can. Yep. Oh, makes sense. So still on heifers, you've talked about custom heifer raising. Yes. How does that factor into the capital cost piece, or what are your thoughts around heifer, custom heifer raising? So I, I would say a, a large number of the clients that I work with do have their heifers custom raised. It is something that was relatively new 15, 20 years ago. I know there was many of us that were skeptical of how custom heifer raising would work out. And we always believed we could do it better than any custom right. grower. But we have found over time that custom growers a lot of times can do it just as well, if not better than us. And in a lot of cases can do it more economical sure. than we can. I think it is important as we look now, and especially if we're going to be growing our dairy, do we really have adequate facilities to raise heifers? Or are we going to have to have another capital investment in order mm -hmm. to raise the number of heifers that we need? And then when I start looking at what that cost is, and the cost of having additional land, the cost for additional manure storage, so forth, that can get to be a really, really big number that we've got invested. And a lot of times, if you 
truly have those heifers carry all that weight. It is way more expensive to raise those additional heifers on the farm than having them farmed yeah. out. No, nope, that makes sense. All right, let's shift gears. Machinery. We talked a little bit about machinery yep. before, right? Yep. So let's talk more about it. How does machinery relate to this conversation? Custom hire, uh, some crop work done, own it yourself, do it yourself. Where are your thoughts around that? If you already have the machinery, I think the question is not getting out right now most of the time. Mm -hmm. The question is, when it's time to replace that machinery, should we be replacing it or then should we be looking at doing a transition to having it custom done? It seems like if we just decided we we're going to go out and switch over to custom right away, we're going to take a, a lot of times a bigger bath on our machinery that we're trying to get rid of, not getting the value that we really believe it should have. And so I am really challenging people as it's time to replace what is the replacement cost going to be versus looking at the custom hire? Or should we downsize to some degree? I have a number of producers now that as it came time to replace those wonderful self-propelled choppers, <laughs> we have actually downsized them. We have downsized from where we were to size it for the hay crop. Let's not run all that power, everything else, so we can harvest corn sides. But what's Let's run it for the hay crop. Let's then bring in a second operator during the corn silage harvest, get more back into the nutrition and some of the things that we know that are important about getting the bunker filled, sure. covered as fast yeah. as possible, and there's a lot of gains that can be done that way. No, that makes sense. So talk me through from a financial standpoint. So if you're looking at doing custom work, maybe selling machinery over time or shifting your right. the way your dairies run to more custom work, so your capital cost might be lower but aren't you just shifting some of that cost to operating expense? Anyway? You are shifting some of it from a capital cost, which includes your depreciation, your labor, everything else, mm -hmm. to a custom expense. But when we start looking at depreciation on those assets, if we have an asset and we have, let's just take an example of a tractor, and we're seeing four and $500,000 for an investment right. on a tractor. And if we're only putting... 200 hours on it a year or 400 hours on it a year is that a wise use of our capital sure. you know maybe we're getting a return on it but is it two percent and they're charging us seven percent to get the loan right to me yeah. that's not and if i know one of the other things rob that i always see is capital is the most limiting commodity that we have and i have never run into a farm that only has one investment in mind <laughs> they always have five, six, seven different things in mind. Sure. We've got to be looking at those that are going to give us the greatest rate of return and do them first. Now, if it's still that tractor, maybe we're going to end up doing it. But generally, there's yeah. something what a greater rate of return. GPS Dairy Consulting goes beyond nutrition by offering tools and resources, broad multidisciplined experience, and a collaborative philosophy across a range of consulting services that will make your business more successful. How will GPS Consultants do that? By collaborating with you and your team to solve challenges and create successes while achieving sustainable and profitable results. By fostering personal growth and leadership development and by inspiring continuous change and improvement in your people, systems, and results. 
GPS Dairy Consulting LLC will go beyond nutrition to help you achieve your most challenging goals. Learn more and connect with a consultant at gpsdairy.com. All right. So Steve, let's shift gears a little bit. You've talked a lot and you, I think with a lot of the dairies you've worked for, you've done the second site concept, milking yes. cows on a different site, Yes. either leasing it, potentially buying it, lease to buy options, those kind of things. Can you walk us through what you're thinking about related to that and how a program might work? Sure. So when I, when I think about that, you know, there's, there's a lot of times that with the businesses that we're working on, they're looking at how do we grow to the next spot? And right now to go from spot A to spot B is generally a pretty big jump. Mm-hmm. It might be 1,000 cows. It might be 2,000 cows that is needed. A lot of times there's a parlor involved. There's a lot of capital outlay. And with that said... You know, a lot of times that is, if we're going to do it all at once, it takes a heck of a lot of equity that we have for collateral to use that next jump. So by doing a second site with a, hopefully a lease operation where we can purchase cattle, build some equity in those cattle, have some additional earnings, it allows us to get to that that goal, second jump, a lot quicker and it doesn't put us in nearly as much risk from a financial standpoint of dropping our equity to too you know low. too yeah. low a position. It keeps you in a safer. So it's an intermediate step. If it's you will, an right? intermediate yeah. step in, in a lot of them. Now there are some dairies that we are working with that are going planning on purchasing that second site. Okay. And so they're they're just looking at it as, you know, if I buy this second site and I can do it for 40 cents on the dollar versus buying new, do I have to get the same level of production? Do I have to have some of these other things? I still can get a better rate of return than putting all my eggs in one basket and doing the brand new site. Yes, I got some things that I'm going to do more efficient, but I also have to have one heck of a high performance level for that to give me the rate of return. Okay. So talk me through how a lot of times you set them up. You know, what kind of efficiencies do you gain versus things that are less efficient, maybe? Yep. Can you talk through some of that? So some of the things that we look at a lot of times when a second site is put into play is, number one, we're going to bring all the calving back to one right. position. That way we're more likely to be 24-7 calving. We got somebody there. But then on the second site, it is strictly a milking operation. A lot of times on that second site, you know, sometimes there's breeding going on in the second site. Sometimes there's not even breeding going on. So basically you've got milkers and you're checking for mastitis, and that's about all we have there. A lot of times when the cows are dried off, they're brought right back to the primary site where all the calving is going to occur. It is just a milking unit, milk to sure. the absolute max. So, you know, again, we're not looking for somebody that has a huge uh, transition area for that second site. It is a milking operation. Yeah. And so, so you're trying to concentrate your exactly your highest labor load, right, into one area. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and would you say that labor efficiency a lot of times is better than when they were on one site potentially, but not as good as when that next rotary or that next right. parlor is built? Is that fair? Because it's that a would stepping be, stone, right? That would be fair. Yeah. You know, it is better than what they had because they have more cows now that they're spreading their labor cost over. Yes, there's more people. But mm-hmm. generally, there's there's lower cost per hundredweight. But it is not going to be nearly as efficient, generally nearly as efficient, right. 
if you had them all on one site, one location, one parlor. Okay. Yeah. What are some concerns? What are some watchouts in these situations? What do you need to be thinking about? Yep. So one of the big concerns that we always, that I ask people to look at, really evaluate, trying to get other vendors involved here is deferred maintenance. What are some of the things that really have the former operator has let slide or, you know, because generally they don't make that decision in one day that they're going to get out. And so maintenance has tended to slide. And so what are we going to have to take care of? And then who is going to take care of that? You know, is our, if this is a strictly lease operation, how much of those capital costs do you have to cover as a leasee? And how much is the owner going to cover for those capital repairs? So that would be one. Another opportunity that I see is, you know, I always say plan for the worst and hope for the best. Unfortunately, there's been a few that have jumped in very quickly and have not planned for the worst. And then there's been situations that have arised and you tend to run into some disagreements with the landlord and that can cause a little bit of a of a challenge. I think the other big thing here is make sure you plan for a long enough horizon. If you're going to lease a second site, you know, if we're only going to lease it for one year, it's probably not going to be advantageous to us. We need to have a three to five year commitment that we're willing to make so that we can really see those, those gains. Okay. Okay. Anything else related to the second site, Steve, you want to bring up? You've had a, I I know you've had a number of dairies you work with do that, right? Any other learnings we should tap into or things we should consider? I think one of the other learnings is the opportunity there for the owner of the dairy to potentially be the crop provider. That's a good one. We have also been able to spread out that risk. You know, we a lot of times the, the, the dairyman that's getting out is not ready to go cold turkey. He's been he's been working hard for many years. He might be willing to back off on milking cows or get rid of the cows, but he's not ready to step away from the dairy entirely. So if he has the opportunity to provide you feed, that generally is a very nice, appealing thing to them. Sometimes they're willing to do the manure also, take care of the nutrient management aspect of things, which has been a plus. And sometimes, you know, and again, they're, they're going to be working with their tax accountant and looking at how to mitigate income taxes. But sometimes we're then spreading out how feed payments are received or spreading out how cattle payments are received, all those types of things to try and make it as advantageous for them as possible and mitigate what they need to give up as income tax. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit. If, If you're considering investing capital in something, some decision you wanna make, some investment you wanna make, I know you've talked a lot about partial budgets as a yes. tool to use. Yes. Can you dig into that a little bit? What sure. are the advantages? What do you want to think about? You know, I think I think we really need to look at partial budgeting on these capital decisions because they're getting to be bigger and bigger decisions. There's hardly any decision that's under a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. With every capital decision, there's we're planning on it to increase revenue. We're planning or we're planning on it to decrease expense. But along with those things, Generally, there's some income that is taken away. Sure. And then also there's some expenses that are added. And so we really need to be evaluating all four quadrants. There's very little, 
very few items that don't have something that falls in each sure, one of the yeah. four quadrants. And then I look at that, what's the net bottom line there on an annual basis divided by the annual asset cost. So if I have a tractor that I'm buying and I'm expecting it to last for 10 years, what's one-tenth of that cost of that tractor? To look at what my rate of return is going to be on an annual basis. And if my rate of return, especially right now, if it's going to be lower than the interest cost, why would I want to invest it mm -hmm. there? But at the same time, if I'm evaluating two different things, it allows me to compare on an economic standpoint, which one is going to give me the best return? How's that going to help me get to the next event or the next thing that I want to do quicker? Right. So I, I, that's where I really believe the partial budget can help us out. So Steve, you've mentioned a few different ratios or financial metrics to think about related to asset utilization. Asset turnover is one, capital yes. cost per hundred weight. Can you just describe in financial ratios right. what you should be looking at, which metrics to sure. use? So I think those two are very good ratios to look at. So asset turnover. So with that, I'm looking at the amount of revenue that I bring in on an annual basis, income that I bring in, relative to the number of assets that I have. Okay. And my goal would be to be above 0.7 or 70 cents of revenue per year for every dollar of assets that I have on the farm. Once I start getting below that, I'm starting to get more and more assets that are low rate of return assets okay. that I have. So I think that is a very important number to have. I start looking at capital costs. As I said, we have over $3 of variance in what I see on the clients. You know, we have clients that are from $1.70 to over $4, a hundredweight on and I think as we look at this future, as I look at the dairies that continue to be the most profitable dairies that I work with, we need to be down in that 2 to 225, 100 weight or less as far as dollars of capital cost sure. per 100 weight. And is that post expansion or is that? That's post expansion. If post you were going. Expansion. Yes. Yeah. And when I'm doing post expansion, I am looking at the full cost. I'm not doing a appraisal cost, sure. but the yeah. full cost that right. it was to you. Well, thanks, Steve, for sharing your insights with us. And let's just segue a little bit and talk about uh, your transition in your career, right? Recently, you made a transition. Yes. And GPS and AgriGrowth Solutions are now partnering. Can you tell us a little bit about so, that? So, in the last short while, GPS and myself have come together and formed AgriGrowth Solutions, which is a consulting business that looks at financial and business of the dairy, of the business, looking at where have you been, where are your opportunities, where is our future. So we're doing budgeting or helping you monitor performance, comparing that to budget, trying to look at what are these opportunities. I think too often our clients, our dairymen, are so involved in the day-to-day -day operations that they don't see the interconnection between the steps that they make on the farm and how it impacts their bottom line. And that's what we're trying to do is make that a relationship that they understand and you know, having them challenge us about, what about this investment? What about this? How do, if I do this, how's that going to impact my bottom line? So I think it allows them to have more control of where their business is going because they understand the insights 
of their business mm-hmm. that much better. And probably more confidence in the numbers, right? Exactly. Yeah. And quicker. Yeah. Well, and they're not waiting for their lender to provide them that insight. They know when they go in to meet with their lender, this is what it can sure. do for me. Yeah. Well, excellent. I think we've learned, right, that the dairy producers like the service. They're looking for it, right? Yes. And, and value it. So look forward to working with you on bringing it forward. And, and yeah, thanks for your insights today. Thank you, Rob. You just heard from Steve Bodart with AgriGrowth Solutions and GPS Dairy Consultant Rob Bender on how to gain a competitive edge in the dairy business. And for more information on AgriGrowth Solutions and their relationship and partnership with GPS Dairy Consulting, see the show notes. Thank you for jumping on. I'm your host, Peggy Coffeen from the GPS DairyCast, and thank you for listening to this episode. The GPS DairyCast features conversations that deliver on the GPS Dairy Consulting promise to inspire change and grow leaders. If this GPS DairyCast has you looking for more ways to become an elite dairy producer, find more information in our show notes on how you can add a GPS advisor to your team.